Welcome into The Harvest, the podcast dedicated to helping ordinary believers take the message and mission of Jesus out of the building and into the everyday places of life. I'm Andrew Stroud. On today's show, I'm joined by my friend Stephen Earp. Stephen is founder and lead pastor of Elevate Church in Oklahoma City. He's also the executive producer of the award-winning documentary, Where Was God? A film made after a series of devastating tornadoes hit his hometown of Moore, Oklahoma in 2013. He's an author. His book, Storms of Life, Learning to Trust God Again, is available on Amazon. And not surprisingly, Stephen has what he describes as the entrepreneurial disease. Over the past few years, he has developed a strong social media ministry. He currently owns and operates ministry-related social media accounts with between six and seven million followers. That's where our paths crossed about a year ago on Instagram. With everything Stephen has going on, perhaps the most significant and inspirational is the care he provides his wife, Christy. In 2007, Christy was diagnosed with a chronic illness that impacts every part of her body and cognitive abilities. She has required 24-7 care since early 2018, care that Stephen provides with a joy that can only come from faith in Jesus. You will be encouraged and inspired by this conversation. As always, if you have thoughts about today's show, we'd love to hear them. You can share them with us at our Facebook page in the comments under the post for this episode. All right, welcome. I'm joined today by Stephen Earp. He is the lead pastor of Elevate Church in Oklahoma City. Or, or is, in that, is that in Moore, Oklahoma, Stephen? Yeah, Moore, Oklahoma. It's a suburb. So if, uh, if you're in the Oklahoma area, then I say Moore. But if you're outside, I say Oklahoma City. So. All right. Well, he's also the executive producer of a documentary, Where Was God? Author of the book, Storms of Life. And he is very active on social media ministry, which is actually how our paths crossed, Stephen. I think we met each other via Instagram, if I recall. Yeah, we did. I honestly can't remember exactly when we began to engage on a personal level, but um, I was following your account, InstaScripture, over on Instagram. And at some point, we must have had a direct message conversation. I didn't even know if you were a man, if you were a woman, if you were a team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a man. Thank you. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but we got to know each other. And then uh, probably about a year ago, I know we had a phone call that was extremely encouraging to me. I think we talked for about an hour and just yeah, uh, swapped stories and uh, learned a little bit more about each other. And you are definitely a, a kindred spirit. And it's exciting to have you on the podcast today. Man, I'm so honored. I'm, I'm thankful for you and the entire Into the Harvest team. I love your social media accounts and the uh, the impact you're making, uh, not just on the ground, but also in digital space and uh, bringing light into the dark, dark spaces. There's a lot of dark spaces online, you know, we need, we need more, uh, we need more Jesus there. <laughs> so I'm thankful for you guys. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I think the church is a little slow to, to realize that. So that's something hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. But, um, I know a little bit of your story, but our our audience and our listeners might not know you. In fact, most of them won't know you. Uh, one reason I'm excited to have you on is because I think it's going to be a, a big encouragement to our listeners. But why don't you take us back to the beginning of, of your own faith journey, your story? What were some of the early turning points that led you to the Lord? Yeah. So great question. Thanks for asking. I... Uh... I mean, I'm, I'm here in central Oklahoma. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, cultural Christianity and uh, nominal Christianity. 
And I grew up in and out of church. My home life was uh, was pretty dysfunctional by any standards. And, uh, and so I, I was exposed to the Lord at a young age. I had uh, extended family members that were involved in ministry and, uh, and things like this in a traditional church setting. So when I was a kid, I, would, I went to VBS. Um, you know, I went to camp as a teenager. And so I made a profession of faith when I was uh, relatively young. I mean, I don't know, seven or eight years old to the extent that I could understand the gospel. And then, um, and then I didn't have a lot of development, discipleship, and things like that. Um, through my teen years, I would, um, I would, uh, you know, I would, I would go to camp uh, with with friends or with other family members, and that became a large part of of what little spiritual development I had growing up. So, I mean, I would, I would learn more about the Lord in that one week of going to uh, some sort of church camp than I would learn, you know, the entire year um, of of being at home and and whatnot. And then, um, but I was interested in things of the Lord. I mean, I think the Holy Spirit was was continually drawing me. And I guess I look back, you know, I think it's obvious God was preparing us for things, but, um, but we, um, you know, my wife and I both had similar, similar backgrounds, you know, uh, extended family knew the Lord, uh, immediate family was extremely dysfunctional. And, um, sorry, you, you heard my dog bark there. <laughs> He's making his appearance. No problem. There's the, there's the pod. Yeah. There's the, there, you're welcome podcast listeners. If you're <laughs> dog bark. Um, but, uh, but so we were, um, you know, we both had similar backgrounds, very interested in things of the Lord. We, we started dating and, uh, and she ended up, uh, you know, she ended up, she ended up getting pregnant. We, we got, we didn't have a lot of discipleship or development. Um, we, um, and so we, we got married when we were 17 years old. I mean, we, we got married, we had a baby and we both kind of renewed our commitments to Christ at that time. And, uh, we both were looking for, uh, I mean, I was looking for, I was looking for, number one, I was looking for a man to sort of uh, help me, you know, to learn how to be a, a godly man and how to be a man in general. And then also we wanted to grow up in the Lord. And so we both started seeking. Um, we ended up uh, volunteering at, uh, at what was a, a brand new church start. Now we would call it a church plant, but this was in, I'm 44. So this was in 1990 or uh, 1992 or 1993. And, um, it was a church that was starting and we wanted a new start. And so the pastor there sort of became a father figure to me a bit. Um, it was still not a lot of development and discipleship, but um, it was more of a, a traditional, more of a traditional community church construct. If, I don't know if you, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like, there just wasn't a lot of the discipleship. It was more program based. Right. And, um, so then I was, we were volunteering there and then I was a, uh, I was doing contracting, doing construction work and, and trying to raise a family. You know, by the time we were 20, we had two, two young kids, two girls. And, and, uh, we had, I tried going to college and mostly I just had worked. And so then what happened is, um, uh, when I was about 20, a, a gentleman that I was working for, uh, his name was Jeff Jordan and he had been, uh, he had been, uh, doing discipleship ministry in, in, in India with a group called the navigators. And, um, he and I were talking about some, some topics of, of the Lord came up and, uh, and I had some real misunderstandings about the gospel. I mean, I, I just, I didn't have a full grasp of what the grace of God meant. And, uh, um, and you know, I, you know, like I had these, this view that God was this, this sort of, uh, this big mean giant with a stick ready to, you know, just pound us. And so, uh, so Jeff said, uh, he, he, one day he said, I made a comment about some sort of spiritual topic and, 
And he said, well, Stephen, he said, I, I don't think that's really the way that God is described in the Bible. And I would love to talk to you more about that. And so he met with me and I, uh, that started a journey of, uh, uh, he had these little card packs and I don't know if you, I mean, uh, familiar with them. I think uh, we've got them on our website right now, the into the harvest.org website. It's possibly yeah. the, the topical memory system, which has made That's a huge exactly impact what, in my life. Yep. That was it. It was a topical memory system. And I, I, I started weekly memorizing these scriptures with this guy over breakfast and he bought my breakfast. I don't know how many times and, and, uh, started hiding God's word in my heart, it changed my heart, changed my life. And, um, and so we moved forward from that. Uh, and, uh, and so over time, we, we got involved in, uh, um, in, in starting some businesses and, uh, you know, ch in starting churches and church planting and things like that. But that's kind of the early, the early journey. And uh, we, I, I never, you know, some, some guys, when, when people talk about, um, you know, in a more traditional church context, when people would talk about, well, God called me into ministry, I never was sure what that meant, you know. I... I just feel like over time God developed us and led us from one thing to the next. And then we looked up one day and, and, uh, and we were serving, you know, his <laughs> church and discipling people. And so I don't know, I used to say I wasn't drafted, but I enlisted. Um, but looking back, I understand strongly that the calling or the sending that God did in our lives, it was, it all had to do with our life circumstances. It mm. all had to do with, uh, with the gifts and passions he gave us and, and just putting one step in front of the other. So at the time, it looked like we were making decisions, but looking back, you know, it's like God was all in, all involved in it. So yeah. I think I talked a little long there. No, not at all. Answer, not at all. And actually, there, one of the things that you began to go into there is something I want to explore more. But just a, a point of, of clarification, uh, Jeff Jordan, this was someone you met, you said, on the um, uh, as, a, as you were working in construction, correct? Yes. And he was also yes. working construction. So I know you said he had been with uh, the navigators overseas, but when you met him, right. he was just working a regular job. Yeah, he was a business owner. Um, so Jeff uh, was an Australian and uh, I don't even have contact with him today. I see some of his kids on social media, but I haven't had a conversation with him in at least 10 years. Wow. But uh, he was, he was, uh, he was a business owner here in our area. He had been a chemist previously. And, uh, and so I was, I was doing contracting work for his company and, um, and that's how I developed a relationship with him. But he, he just was a Jesus lover who he all the time. And what I found out was he was always discipling people. Like I, right. I'm thinking I have this special relationship with him, you know, and then I find <laughs> out it's like, let me get this straight. On Mondays, he meets with these three guys. And on Thursdays, he meets with me. And then Saturday afternoon, he meets with these four guys. And that, and he had done that for like decades. And right. it, uh, so, I mean, uh, sure, I'm special to Jesus. But in Jeff, I was like another guy, you know. <laughs> well, that's why I, I love hearing stories like yours. Because Into the Harvest, this is a big part of what we're about. We're trying to encourage ordinary believers, not the exceptional, not the professional ordinary believers to learn how to live and share their faith in everyday places, not just the sacred spaces, not right. just the dedicated buildings, but how do you learn how to live and share your faith? Because there are young Stephen Earps out there who have a genuine interest, but have some confusion, some, some misunderstandings about the Lord and will be willing to, uh, to meet with an older believer who has a sense of direction. I know that that was 
similar to my own situation when I met um, Cecil Bean, who we just had on the podcast this last week. Uh, when I met Cecil as a young man, I was 20 years old, but God had already been at work in my life long before I met Cecil. Right. And God allowed our paths to cross at a time where I was ready. Any older believer who had a, a clear sense of direction about how to, to become the man that God wanted me to be, I was hungry for that. And it sounds like it was um, a similar situation for you and Jeff. I, I was so ready. I, I find it to be even more so today. Um, and, uh, and this is, and this, I feel this strongly about uh, even social media, social media culture. People talk a lot about millennials, you know, Gen, Gen Y and now Gen Z that's coming behind. Like to me, one of the greatest needs we have in our world in the, in this, in the spiritual world is like, is spiritual fathers and spiritual uncles and spiritual grandfathers. And you don't have to be like that, that young, cool guy to impact young, cool guys. Right. Like what they really need is they need someone who's walked down some hard paths and can say, I don't know everything, but let me show you what I know. And right. that man that you will never run out of people to pour your life into. If you just tell the Lord, Lord, I don't have much going for me, but I'm willing to take what I have and pour it into someone else. If you'll, if you'll bring them to me, like I believe God will always answer that prayer and send someone. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. And if we're going to become those disciple makers, those, those older believers who are willing to reach back, uh, like you said, you don't have to have everything figured out. None of us do, but uh, two qualities I think you have to have. Um, one is, is a, a willingness to share your life. Um, and these are the same two qualities that I think you have to have if, if you're going to be an earthly father or mother, a willingness to, to give of yourself to the next generation and then love. So obviously you had kids very young, uh, 17 or were you 18 when you guys had your first kid? 17. I was, I was a 17 year old dad and, and I definitely had it all figured out. <laughs> exactly. That's my point is, but, but you know, you were obviously you were willing to be a dad. You were willing to stick around. You and Christy got married and you began to raise this child and um, how how is this child doing now? Uh, still alive? She, yeah, <laughs> still making it. We, we did. We 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 uh, uh, yeah. We God's grace. It's just God's grace. It but is. She's now twenty six, and she's married to a a, a godly young man, and uh, uh, and they have a baby. So I'm a 40, 44 year old grandpa now, and uh, and she's great. She loves the Lord. We have five kids now, and all all of our kids know the Lord and, and, uh, and we, we really, I mean, the thing for Christy and I both is our family tree forked when it got to us. I mean, mm. you know, if you look mm -hmm. back the generation previously, right. I mean, it's like God definitely did a work in our hearts and our lives. I mean, the, the experience that my kids have had is nothing like what my experience was growing up. And I would say for some of your listeners, a lot of people, you might have that kind of baggage background, difficult background, and you can definitely, you can definitely make that change to where the, the experience of your kids and grandkids, it is nothing like what you experienced. You are definitely not married to your past. And the, the Holy Spirit of God can use that to, to build on for the next generation. So I'm just, I'm super thankful. I'm, I'm honored that God allowed us to raise the kids that we've raised. And my youngest is 18 now. He just turned 18 today. Today's, so oh, wow. it's like, yeah. So now we, we, we got them all to adulthood. They're all alive, you know, <laughs> and uh, they're all adults. 
maybe with a lowercase a in some cases, you know, yep. but, um, but, but yeah, they're all learning, to, you know, adulting and, uh, and so it's really great. I, I've loved every stage of life and I love this one so much. So. Well, I think there's some real parallels to spiritual parenting and sometimes we're, we're so fixated on what we don't have or how we're not ready. Um, we can learn a lot just by looking into the earthly realm and, and seeing that, that God allows us to become parents long before we know what we're doing. And if you're, if you're willing to, to be a parent and your, your love for the child is what's guiding you, then um, it's hard to break people. If you've got those two qualities, um, it's hard to break the next generation. I agree so much, man. I, I used to think when I was uh, 17 or 18, I feel like I could have written an encyclopedia on how to be a great parent, you know, 18 year old <laughs> experts. And then we had one or two kids and I was like, maybe not a set of encyclopedias, but maybe I could write one book on it, you know? Right. And then, you know, we have three kids and it's like, I could write an article. <laughs> Yeah. about how to be a great parent. And now it's like, I, I don't know anything, but if you just cling to Jesus and love your kids, like over time, you'll figure it out because right. they are, they're all so different. And it's like the things you, that you just knew would be the, the, the solution. Right. You know, now it's sort of like, I, I pray that they're going to be independent. That's what I hope for. I hope for independence for my kids, spiritual independence, um, emotional independence, financial independence. Like that's what I want is to just, yeah. Uh, so I feel like that anyway, I'm, I don't, I don't have any regrets about any of that. And uh, they're all kind of on their own journeys and now, so I'm, I'm thankful for all of that. So I love it, man. Yeah. One thing, uh, Cecil, uh, my mentor shared with me years ago, and he was probably around the age of 55 when he, when he shared this, but he said, um, you know, I know if I were to begin having kids right now, if I had my first kid right now, right. I know exactly what I would do. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's interesting that God sets it up because he's, you know, he said, I've got 30 years of experience now parenting, right. but right. the way God sets it up is by the time you reach that age, normally physically, at least if you know, your, your wife can't have kids by that point. And so right. when you're ready, when you've got those answers, you've got that experience right. for whatever reason, God seems to want us to actually go through the struggle of not knowing what we're doing as we're yeah. raising these children. Same, <laughs> same thing spiritually. I think God wants us to be willing to go through not knowing what we're doing, struggling to, to seek him for wisdom right. and guidance to help others. So um, it sounds so like good. you guys have done that both in the physical realm and in the, uh, the spiritual realm. But you, you know, something you, you mentioned there, and I actually had this written down as a question I wanted to, uh, to ask sure. you is, you know, as you think back over the course of your life, where do you see your planning, your choices in guiding the course of your life? And, and where do you see God's hand just sovereignly bringing people into your life, bringing, cir bringing circumstances, which do you think has more shaped you? Um, so when, when I would say when I'm in the moment, it has always seemed like I was, you know, pretty much in control, <laughs> but looking back, it seems apparent, you know, the opportunities that God put in front of us and, and uh, the direction God gave us in each step and, and things like that. I, I used to be at one time, <clears throat> I was a, uh, I like planning, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I, I like things to be planned out and organized and things like that. Um, but, uh, but I, I no longer, 
And I mean, I've, we've been involved in business and ministry and everything else. And so the thing of like, well, you need a, fi- a two-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, all of that kind of stuff. I think all of that's great. And I mean, if, if someone does that, okay, I say, God bless you. What I have, what, what, what has been, been better for me is, is to say, what is God's plan for me today? And I want to execute strongly on what God has. What are the opportunities God has in front of us? So number one, most of our life, our ministry lives, our personal lives have been marked not by the plans we made, but has been marked by taking opportunities as they, as they arise, when it comes up. So some need arises, um, you know, or some opportunity arises, and then we, we're pretty quick to say, oh, let's, let's engage in that. And that has made the bigger impact. And things like uh, producing a film or writing a book or what, like things like that, all of that sort of came out of that, even social media or starting new churches. It's more been about like just happened, like just identifying needs, opportunities, and then seeing that God designed us in this particular way. And if he's allowing this need and this opportunity at this time to cross our paths in this way, then that's probably the Holy Spirit opening up, you know, opening up that door. So that's been one thing um, is taking, uh, you know, uh, taking advantage of opportunities as they arise or meeting needs as they arise. <clears throat> the other thing is, um, is I think, you know, I don't care so much about two years, five years, 10 year plans and goals anymore. Now I know this is just a personal philosophy for me. It works better. I, I want to like today, what I want to do today, I want to make, I want to honor God today. I want to care for my precious bride today. And I want to take, I want to make the next right decision for me today. Hmm. And, and my, my conviction is if I take enough days like that, and string them together, then they will come in, they will turn into weeks and those weeks will turn into months and those months will turn into years. And we'll look back and we'll see all of the things that almighty God has done. And so that's kind of, I don't know to what extent that's transferable to other people, but I, that philosophy has worked, has served us really well. And I think it's in alignment with our gifts and how God has designed us and, and whatnot. So I don't know if that quite answers your question, but no, I think it does. I, I've been reading in the uh, the book of Genesis in my my morning reading times with the Lord, and I've been reading the life of Jacob. You know, Jacob is infamous for um, many things, actually, but probably most notably, he stole the blessing uh, from his uh, older brother Esau and uh, deceived his father in order to to get the blessing that would normally have gone to the firstborn son. And uh, what what that resulted in is that Jacob had he became an exile for twenty years. He actually had to leave his home country, leave his family, and go off into a foreign land. Uh, but God was with him during those twenty years. And when he returns at the end of twenty years, he says this prayer to God. Uh, he's getting ready to cross the river, coming back into his homeland. And as he crosses the river, he acknowledges that God has guided him over these 20 years. And he makes this statement. He says that when I left home, I had nothing but this staff. And I come back and you've made me a company of two peoples. I mean, he had flocks, he had herds, he had four wives, he had 11 kids. Um, God had really blessed him in those 20 years. And one of my takeaways was that Jacob was trying to manipulate things to improve his his inheritance. He right. didn't need that. God was going to, you know, God gave him the inheritance without right. even reference to his father, his earthly father's blessing. 
um, God gave him wives and children and flocks, and uh, he didn't need to try to to make it happen. So there is this balance between being faithful and alert to to take advantage of opportunities as they come, and then trusting that God is going to be the one that that guides us and directs us as we go through life. Yeah, that's. I think the most. The, the most impactful ways God has used us have had everything to do with seeing opportunities in the moment and have had almost nothing to do with my advanced planning. Right. <laughs> and so, but sometimes if you don't plan, like for example, it's sort of like the, uh, the parable of the good Samaritan, you know, I mean, if, if there's no margin in your life, then you can't take advantage of the needs as they arise. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, the, the man who's in the ditch laying on the side of the road and you have the priest and the Levite who walk by. I mean, in our culture, and this might not be like super great uh, Bible interpretation, but practically speaking, in our culture, I mean, if I walk by that guy, I probably just have too many things on my schedule. I'm in a hurry. I'm going to be late mm-hmm. for a meeting. I have no margin. Right. And it's like the most important things that God does are the things he does in the margins. It's, hmm. you know, this week we had someone uh, message us on social media and said, uh, you know, I, I don't plan very many things now in my schedule. I leave lots of open space. Number one, because of my precious bride, her health, she can have a challenge in a moment. And it's like, it takes me out for a day or half a day. So it's not good for me to have a very rigid planned out schedule day. Instead, I use time blocks where I say, well, during these times I'm going to study, during these times I'm going to, but it's super flexible. Um, I definitely don't fill it up with meetings anymore, which is what I used to do. Um, but this week we had a guy message us on social media and he said, hey, I don't know, you know, I've been, I've been clean now for two years. I, 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 I want to know more about the Lord. I don't know what the next steps are. I want to anchor myself to the strongest thing or the strongest person that I happen to know. And he said, and your, your, your social media account came to mind is there any way that you or someone can talk to me? Hmm. Like, well, in that day I was able to say, yeah, actually what city are you in? Turns out he was in our same city. And I said, bro, here's my address. Drive to my house right now. Wow. You can't do that. If you have the whole, you know, your whole life planned out to the moment. And so uh, just rearranging things and seeing what is the Holy spirit doing in this. And um, so, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just, thankful. That's just sort of the way we walk through life now. I try to walk, walk more slowly. My natural state is, is my, you know, to our RPMs running fast all the time. That's my natural state. Yep. But over time I've, I've learned more and this has become my nature. And when you're pushing a wheelchair, it sort of requires it, but walking slowly through crowds, um, moving slowly through life. I think the Holy spirit shows up when we're going slower Hmm. And when we're being more quiet and that's not my, none of those things are natural to me. Those are all discipline. Um, those are things that have come out of discipline and Holy spirit transformation, not my personal nature, but, uh, but margin and quiet and just walking slowly through crowds and seeing the beauty that God creates, you know? And so anyway, I, I may have derailed us there. I don't not know. Not at all. What. Not at all. That's the beauty of a podcast conversation. It's a conversation. Um, so the question is, did we plan that out or, you know, did that yeah. opportunity just arise? <laughs> well, this is actually, we can kind of uh, move into this topic of yeah. slowing down because I know that there's been external circumstances, like you said, that have really shaped you over the years. But let's maybe, 
let's maybe go back because at some point you guys ended up starting Elevate Church there in in Moore. Talk to me about what led to that, and then I would like you to share more about how God has used suffering for sure, but possibly also disappointment or unexpected turns or tragedy to shape you, but also to shape your ministry. Yeah. So um, uh, with church planting, so first of all, um, I mean, God designs each of us differently, and God definitely designed me with this entrepreneurial disease, um, you know, of starting new things and, uh, you know, get, getting an idea. I have a thousand ideas a week and there's only maybe one every six or eight weeks that has any value at all. The rest of them are just rubbish, but I, you know, so, but I've always executed. So in other words, like my personality is sort of fire ready aim. And so, (laughs) yeah. So, um, we, Early in our ministry, we started off, um, you know, we were doing discipleship in this, uh, this church that we started volunteering in. We transferred the principles that we learned from Jeff into our discipleship in the more traditional church context. And then uh, from there, there was a need for Spanish language, uh, you know, ministry and discipleship. So we, we started a service in that town. I didn't speak Spanish. We just started talking to people, inviting them. And God blessed. I mean, the very first week, there were like 40 people that showed up in a traditional worship setting. And then it continued, that church still continues today. And I think we were 20 at the time. And so that gave us, a, uh, that gave us the idea that, um, that we you, should- You were 20 that. years old at the time. Yeah, yeah, we were 20. There was a need, I, had, I was picking up students. We were doing some discipleship in some apartment complexes, uh, very diverse, like ethnically and, and in, in socioeconomic, uh, low socioeconomic circumstances. And so I was discipling some young men, older teens. And, and you know, the, so there was a- um, a lot of the kids may, you know, may have been Hispanic, um, their parents, there was no place for them to engage spiritually. And so, uh, they had to drive about 35 minutes to find an evangelical presence. And so, um, so we, we just started something and, uh, my thought was, well, no, there's no, uh, church here for Spanish speaking people. Well, we should just start it. So let's do it. And the pastor I was with at the time, he just let us, anytime I would say, can we do this? He would say yes. And so we just mm. did it. And it worked. It, it shouldn't work. Like looking back, it shouldn't have worked. I think God used it. Just God supernaturally used it to, to whet our appetite for starting new things. And so after that, we, we helped start a number of other Spanish language churches. I got involved more in, um, in uh, church multiplication and, um, and, you know, we would send groups of people out. And then uh, from there, when I was 25, I went and pastored another church. And at this time, I mean, keep in mind, we're working in very low socioeconomic uh, environments and, excuse me, and I was, I would be doing ministry in a traditional church setting um, and, and largely funding it just with business, um, with our businesses. So uh, a lot of poverty ministry, a lot of difficult things, uh, you know, English classes and helping people with legal papers and various things like that. And so uh, trying to meet the holistic needs in the community. And so from there, from that church, we went to another city about 35 minutes away. And, then, and there were a lot of needs there, and that was attractive to us. And so we, um, we, we were there. While we were there, we helped start maybe t- uh, 10 different Spanish language uh, churches and send them out. And I just, so I, I sort of uh, obsessed about church planting and church multiplication. And in some ways, I had set aside our I had set aside in some ways um, 
I wasn't doing as much for a period of time in personal discipleship and I hadn't translated that. So, I mean, we did have a departure from that, mm-hmm. um, that plan, but then, um, we, in 2000, from 2007, we were at the point where, you know, in 2007, we were at the point where we, we, we were reaching people in a certain city that was about 10 miles away from where our church was. And we felt like, well, we need to bring on some leader that can go start a church in this area. And, uh, and that, that person never came. Hmm. And so in May of 2000, um, May of 2010, um, I, I felt like, um, you know, I had a, I had a dream and that was not the normative way that God, you know, spoke to us, but I, it was very clear. The Holy spirit was, was whispering in our ears that the next church we start should be, uh, we should be involved in, in helping lead it. And so, and I was doing business at the time. I, I operated a couple of businesses and, and, um, you know, that wasn't in our plan. And my wife had been diagnosed with this uh, tragic illness, um, in 2007. Um, this it was just debilitating and, she was still walking around at that time in 2010, but we knew that what the future would bring if, you know, unless God healed her. And so we, um, uh, you know, May of 2011, we started praying and seeking counsel and fasting. And, you know, is this really God? Is this really God saying, you know, to go start this new church? And so um, we felt uh, strongly that it was. And uh, in, in May of 2000. Um, let's see, in September, 2011, we, we launched there and we, you know, uh, Elevate Church started in September, 2011. And a lot of things came in place. I mean, you know, God ordering our steps in front of us and it did a lot of things that you hope will happen. They, you know, ended up happening. And so then in 2012, she, uh, you know, she had her first long hospital stay and it was like a couple of months and things started changing at that point where she required a lot more care. And so, uh, but that's kind of the short version on how, on how we started Elevate. And, uh, it's a, it's a suburban church in a, you know, in a suburb of Oklahoma city and a more traditional Western model church that's, you know, contemporary in style in terms of the style of music and things like that. And, and, um, so anyway, that's the short version on how we started, uh, on how we started Elevate. We, we were still involved in, I had consulted with a couple of denominational groups on church planting systems and church planting models. And, uh, and, and then we, we walked away from that in August of uh, 2017 and started focusing on social media. But, uh, but anyway, that's maybe that's more info than you wanted, but that's kind of the short version on how we started elevate. Yeah. Well, I'm also interested just in how, um, suffering or tragedy has maybe marked your life and marked uh, your ministry in the mid, I mean, you're, you're obviously, like you said, you're a, you're a go-getter, you have these ideas and you move out on them, but sort of throughout your, your history, there have been events where uh, tragedy has come, come into your life, either in those around you or in your, your personal family there with Christy. Um, you were the executive producer for this movie, Where Was God? What, what prompted that, and uh, why did you guys make that documentary? So, yeah, thanks, thanks for asking. Um, I, um, I'll try to you – know, I'm really good at taking a short story and making it long, but uh, I, uh, when we first got involved in ministry and we were doing apartment complex ministry discipleship, um, the, uh, you know, I was 18 at the time. And, uh, I guess 19 and, and, uh, there was this, this family that came to, that came to Christ and this young 15 year old girl, she had a, she had a, a tragic illness and, 
was in and out of the hospital all the time. And, and we prayed for her. We laid hands on her. We cried with the family. And, and uh, I, I really believed, you know, that God was going to heal her. And, uh, and he didn't. And, you know, she's 15 years old. So at the time I was 19 and I, my very first funeral was for this 15-year-old girl that was in our youth group. And I, I had, you know, helped her meet Jesus and I'd helped her meet, uh, her family meet Jesus. And, uh, so that was the beginning of, uh, of difficult things entering into our lives. And, um, so I just, uh, over time, God increasingly sent people into our lives that were in similar challenges. So, um, by the time we planted Elevate Church, I had uh, officiated more than 220 funerals, hmm. and um, you know, which is a lot for a guy who's 36 and and part-time pastoring even. And um, and like even even this week, I mean, last week we we were involved. Last week there were three three different uh, suicides that were relatively close to us. Um, even just yesterday, um, you know, I know we were originally scheduled uh, yesterday to. Um, to, to, to do this call. And, and part of my challenge yesterday was we had a family, a family reach out to us about a, a suicide victim yesterday morning. And so it's sort of like our, our paths have intersected so much with people who are in, involved in deep tragedy uh, that, that uh, our, our paths intersect with people who are in hardship so frequently that we can hardly separate our own ministry from that. And so that, that introduced, you know, this, this, uh, this entire journey of, of serving people who are, you know, who are experiencing sadness. And, and, um, and so I, 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 I legitimately, I genuinely believe, Andrew, that um, the number one tool that God has used in shaping my inner life um, has been, uh, you know, caring for my precious bride. Like I, uh, you know, um, in 2007, she was diagnosed with, uh, with MS and it's been, it was pretty aggressive at the time. And at this point she requires 24 seven care. Um, you know, a lot of her bodily functions don't work well. And, and so she has some cognitive challenges as well. Uh, she doesn't always remember the names of our kids and things like that. But, um, you know, for me and, and our, our home and, and our lives are filled with joy and happiness and laughter. And, uh, but you know, there is like a little bit of an underlying sadness. I mean, the, 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 there's this, this sadness, like for me, I, I mourn the progressive loss of our shared memories. Um, but our day to day lives are extremely, you know, they're, they're filled with laughter and joy and, you know, something weird happens and I just, we just laugh and go on. And so, but the Lord has used those kind of things to sort of engage with our hearts and to transform us, to increase compassion and to in increase trust in him. And, and I, uh, you know, like I, 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 uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to see Jesus. You know, hmm. I'm, I'm not depressed. I'm not suicidal. Uh, I, but, but, but for real, I just, uh, you know, we, we love one another. We love the people around us. And, uh, but while God has us here, we want to make a difference. We want to make an impact. We want to push back the darkness. And, uh, and so, hmm. yeah, that's kind of where we are. I mean, I, I really think, I know, and discipleship and disciple making. When I think about disciple making, I think that what we're doing is the word disciple, discipling or disciple making. From my perspective, it's it's a it's kind of like it's kind of like how we're describing the the the, the, the things that we do as a, as people that help facilitate the work that God does in our hearts, like the, the heart transformation. And so, it's one thing to change your actions, to change the words you say, to change the things you do, but 
it's an entirely different process when you, when, you know, when the Holy Spirit transforms you from the inside out and you become something different. I mean, it's, it's one thing you can, through accountability, you can change your language, you can change your actions, hmm. but it's only the Holy Spirit of God that can transform your, your heart and make you into something different. Right. And, uh, and that's what we look for in discipleship. So I, I see disciple making and discipleship as it's like growing in Christ, this process that the Holy Spirit uses. It's like, on the one hand, there are these spiritual disciplines, uh, scripture memory and reflecting on God's word and meeting with people and, and a fellowship and these things. And these can help facilitate this transformative thing that God only God can do in our hearts. But then there's this other piece that we can't control, but we can only uh, interact with it or engage with it. And that is disappointment and pain and suffering. And pain, I think it was C.S. Lewis that, that talked about pain being God's megaphone, right? you know, mm-hmm. for a world that's not listening. And, and I just, I really think that, um, I think that, that if, if the, the spiritual disciplines, if that is a tool that God uses to change us, then I would say that that pain and suffering is a power tool for for the Holy Spirit of God to do work, inner work, the deep heart work in the heart of men and women who, who engage in, in disappointment and, you know, they, they either tend to become bitter and angry and harsh or they develop sort of a soft, compassionate heart. You know, why is it that some people experience pain and suffering and they run away from Jesus and other people experience similar pain and suffering and they run directly to him. It's a great mystery to me. And I, I simply can't answer that question, but for your listeners, I would say if you're in the midst of hardship, I would say to you, even though we don't know why some people run to Jesus and some run away, I would say that you can definitely run to him in your pain and suffering. And so, um, so that's, that's kind of my perspective on how the Holy spirit engages with us in our, in our pain. And, and meets us right there in the moments of darkness. So, you know, as you've run towards Jesus um, over the years, and especially with Christie's illness uh, over these past uh, twelve years, as it's gotten progressively um, worse, uh, how has Jesus met you in these moments? And maybe just from from your own testimony, how has that looked for you? Yeah. So maybe I'll share a scripture. Um, from Psalm 139 and uh, Psalm 139 has uh, gripped us for the last 10 or 12 years. And it's easily my favorite selection in all of God's word. And the, the Psalms are largely, you know, they're number one, they were the Hebrew songbook. Number two, it was largely almost like journal entries from the writers. So David, wrote probably half of them or more, maybe 75%. I'm not certain, but, um, and it's like personal journal entries. And in the Psalms, we don't get a lot of information about God, but we, we see how, how, how people of God engaged emotionally with, with every circumstance they ever encountered. So if you're feeling angry or sad or disappointed, you can definitely read in the Psalms and find someone who had a similar circumstance. And Psalm 139 is late in David's life, and uh, King David had experienced great 
sadness. I mean, in that way, his life largely probably represented the life of Jesus. And David had experienced the loss of an infant child at one point. And, uh, and then at another time, David had a son who raped David's daughter. I mean, how tragic would that be? And then later, you know, David's other son killed the son who raped his daughter. I mean, talk about dysfunctional family. And then at one point, David's, one of David's best friends, his general, uh, ended up killing the son who killed his brother, who raped his sister. I mean, and this is late in David's life. And this is David, the one who was the, uh, the shepherd boy who, who killed the giants. And a lot of times we separate these stories, but in the big picture, David's life is a story of greatness and sadness and joy and sorrow. And so late in his life, David wrote in uh, Psalm 139, he, he writes this after having experienced all of this pain. And let me just read part of it. My favorite section is from verse 7 through 12. David writes, and keep in mind, this is a man of great suffering. David writes, where can I go? to escape your spirit. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the Eastern horizon or settle the Western limits, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Here's what we see. When someone encounters the dark night of the soul, when they drive down the road and it comes to a dead end and it looks like there's nowhere to go, when the lights go out and the storm is raging in your life and heart, what we see is many times that is the very place that Almighty God was waiting to meet you. Hmm. He, he saw it in advance he meets you there. He shows up, and he was there before you ever imagined that you would be there. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just something beautiful. There's something sacred you can experience when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of disappointment, the valley of the shadow of illness, the valley of the shadow of mourning. I think there's just something sacred that you can experience when the Holy Spirit engages with your heart in those dark moments in ways that you perhaps would not otherwise have been able to experience. So to me, the whole journey has just been beautiful and transformative, and I'm a different person than I was before. And uh, I just, I just want to honor Jesus. I want to serve my precious bride. I want to make an impact in the world. Hmm and make the be- the next best decision today. And that's just how, I don't know, I'm just a different man. Well, th- thank you for sharing that with us. I, I do know that suffering is something all of us experience, pain, disappointment, certainly uh, some to, to more of an extent than others. But um, one of the things that really inspires me about you, Stephen, is your heart for the Lord, your heart for your wife, your commitment to her, uh, and yet, in the midst of all of that, your positive spirit, your joy, and you're continuing to serve not only her and your children, but you're still a pastor there at Elevate in your local community. I know it looks different now than it did in years past. And then you've been very active on social media, and it's clear that that God has used you over the years, including today, 
to connect with people who are going through hardship and suffering. And what would you say to those of us who know those, know people who are going through suffering, what's uh, the best way for us to support someone who's going through that difficult time? Dude, super great question. Um, everyone, you, you know, you know, someone, the, the most impactful, um, the most, the, the person that can make the biggest impact on someone who's experiencing difficulty is the person that's closest to them. So several things that I would say, if you have, let's say your cousin experiences a great loss or your neighbor, uh, loses his job or any kind of disappointment like that. And disappointment is anytime that our, what we are expecting is not what we experience. There's a gap there. Like we're expecting this, we experience this, there's disappointment in the middle. It's all related to mourning. And so it's, it's mourning the loss. Several things I would say, number one is uh, be present. So most people are uncomfortable. They don't know what to say. And the thing is when someone experiences loss, you, you need to be present. Okay. It's, it's your, they need your presence. They don't need your words. So I encourage you to say less and be there more. Okay. Our words are where we really get messed up. There's nothing you can say that's going to take away the pain. Don't even try. Don't diminish it. Just be there and say something like this. Say, say like, there's nothing I can say that's going to help this. I just want to let you know that I love you and I'm going to, I'm going to be here with you. And then you just sit in silence with them. Uh, and so that, that's a big thing. Being present, go to them. Even if you're uncomfortable, uh, people who experience loss or sadness, they get, it's super lonely. Like nobody goes, they don't know what to say. You know, people don't, they don't know, you know, so go see them at the hospital or go, you know, whatever. So be, your presence is a thing. Right. The other thing is practically do things. I mean, like, don't, don't say this statement. This is a big deal. People say, people say, well, let me know if there's ever anything I can do for you. People in pain and suffering, they don't know what they need. Hmm. Right. So in other words, don't wait for them to tell you, they're not going to tell you, uh, they're not going to tell you what they need. Just look and see what they need and meet that need. Hmm. You know, they need groceries. You know, they need their yard mode. You know, they need love. You know, they need encouragement. Find a practical way and go meet that need. Like if, if you're thinking I'm super uncomfortable, I don't know what to say, go mow their yard. I mean, hmm. go buy them some groceries, take their kids to get new shoes for school or something like that. Like go meet needs. Do not assume that other people around are meeting those needs. And so that's what I would, uh, that's what I would say. Uh, be present, listen, say less, listen more, talk less, and then meet practical needs. Those are the biggest thing. Literally everyone can do that. So highly encourage it. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And that's, that's uh, such a great word to, to take on the, the responsibility to figure out what those needs are and then to just move out and, and, and meet them rather than put that on the person that's going through a time of difficulty. Well, brother, I feel we could go for um, another 30 minutes, but we got about 10. <laughs> I do want to uh, I do want to talk with you about social media because especially over the past um, few years, what, maybe two years, three years, that's yeah. become a big part as you've been more um, constrained to the home caring for Christy. It seems to be one of those ways that God has guided you into a, a new area of contribution on social media. So tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing on social media, how that's played out over the past few years, and some of the opportunities you see for people of faith on the internet and some of the mistakes. There's about four questions there. So if you forget one of them, I'll come back. But tell us a little bit about how you got started and what you're doing right now. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Um, we, so when I, when, when Christy got to the point that she basically needed 24 seven care, um, prior to that, I was working a lot with, uh, with church plants, um, a couple of church planting networks I was helping, um, with strategy and, and, uh, so August 1, 2017, we, we walked away from that. Um, and I, I, I needed to spend more time at home, but I have these, like my personal gifts are more like in evangelism and reaching new people for Jesus. And then I have that entrepreneurial disease that I can't get away from. And then I have this over the top extroversion. <laughs> so like I, I talk to everybody everywhere and, and then I'm in the four walls of my house. So if you, I don't, I know your listeners can't see this, but like we're in my dining room right now. So <laughs> welcome to the ERP dining room. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, so at that point, you know, we produced this film, um, in 2014 on, um, on dealing with, with pain and suffering, dealing with, dealing with emotional and spiritual disaster recovery. So we had a small social media following connected to that. And I said, well, I'm here in my house. So I got to use these gifts <laughs> and these drives. And so we did, I just started focusing on social media. We started growing some pages and testing some things and, and engaging with people in digital space. And, uh, and so over time, God uh, blessed. We started networking with other larger pages, uh, faith-based pages. Our, our largest ministry page on Facebook um, is, uh, is called Where Was God? And it's, I think it's maybe 900,000 people or something like that now. Um, but we have some other groups that have several million people in them. And then uh, Instagram grows a lot slower. But we have Insta Scripture on Instagram. And I was just engaging with people, sharing gospel-related content, and we would test different types of content. and and how the algorithms give preference and various things like that. So that's how we got involved originally. And then from there, we started praying that God would use, uh, that God would use us to engage more with the nations. And then, so at this point, we, um, at this point, I, I do a lot of consulting with missions agencies who are trying to reach uh, people for Jesus. And especially in, uh, in areas where you have to be more creative because of uh, the, the dangers, the environmental dangers. Or cultural dangers, um, and so uh, so yeah, I I love it, man. I love social media so much. Not because I love social media. I love social media because it, there's no limit. There are no limits. I mean, I you know I'll wake up in the night and need to take care of something for Christy, and I can't go back to sleep. But I can get on, and people on the other side of the world are on Instagram, and so I can message people. I can engage with them in gospel conversations pretty much all the time. There are no limits, and so I love it so much. I think we need more Christians in in the in digital space, uh, you know, pushing back the darkness, representing Jesus. And so I, I love it so much, man. Yeah. I think one of the mistakes we're making as Christians and, and as the church is we're not recognizing that it is a real space. It's a digital space, but, but it's real. Um, and, and then we're also not acknowledging that that's where people are. People's attention in large part is on social media. So if we're going to represent Jesus in all parts of the earth, well, one of those places is actually digital media and in yeah. particular social media and the people are there. So maybe say a few more things about uh, opportunities that you've seen just in your own ministry, but also some mistakes that you see Christians making who you know, Christians who are on social media, not necessarily running accounts or trying to do ministry, but just they've identified themselves as Christians. They're on social media and they're making some mistakes. Yeah. So first opportunities, great opportunities. I encourage you just 
start following some bigger Christian pages, um, get involved in some larger Christian groups and just watch. You can just read what people post. If you don't, if you don't involve yourself in either following large accounts, if you follow large Christian accounts, you can see how people engage in the comments and stuff like that. And, uh, and you can engage with them as well. You know, so, um, so one, one way you can, you can get involved is just, you know, some large account says, um, you know, says, Hey, share your prayer request. We'd love to pray for you. And then you as an individual can go in there go behind and comment on all of them and say, Hey, I just prayed for you. And over time, what, what that'll do is that will allow you to build relationships individually one-on-one with, uh, with people who are, you know, anywhere in the world really. And, uh, and it's from the safety of your home right behind your, right behind your keyboard. And so there's really very low risk on, in that. Um, so that's one thing you can get involved in groups if you're on Facebook, um, in another way. Now, the second question I think is really important. Um, and this is especially for Western Christians, Christians in North America, Western Europe, um, really big deal that we're, that we're missing, uh, like we're doing it wrong on s- social media. Social media is a third cultured space, meaning that social media has kind of its own culture internationally. And here's the deal. Social media is not the space to correct people theologically. It is not the space for Christians to debate topics. People are repelled by that. And, and even algorithmically and sociologically, huge mistake. Um, and I know, you know, is there a space for these watchdog organizations that want to correct everyone's theology? I'm sure there's a space for that, but I'll tell you this, that space is not on social media. Social media economy values uh, positivity. So think kindness, think compassion, think being considerate. That's the space you want to be in. And engaging with people knowing that globally your opinion, your view of Jesus is going to be in the minority. Hmm. So you have to speak in a way that says, I know that I'm in the minority on this, but here's, here's here's what we do. Now to bring that way, way closer to home, is if you love Jesus I and you care about reaching people on social media, I highly recommend you avoid political discussions. I mean, you will absolutely repel people who have a differing political view. If you value, like, if you want to engage, if you're a Christian, the only way I would say it's appropriate for you to engage in political discussions on social media is if you care more about convincing people politically than you do about convincing them for the gospel. Hmm. Because you cannot win people to Jesus at the same time you are bashing their political party. It's not, you just can't do it. Hmm. There is a, there is a space for that. And I know that people say things about, Oh, uh, first amendment and freedom of speech and that, 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 that. Listen, setting all that aside, do, do you care more about leading these people to Jesus or do you care more about everybody thinking the same way you think about big government, small government, or what color hat someone happens to wear, whether it's red or blue? Uh, and so that I, I feel really strongly about that. I feel like it's the strong, the, 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 most, the biggest thing that we're doing negatively, and it doesn't just affect us here in the U.S. It, it especially affects people in other – listen, you think about the impact political discussions have on people who live in the Middle East or North Africa or Southeast Asia, when they see, they see Christians debating about these political issues and they, and they link that, they think that's all related to our faith. Super dangerous. So, 
Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I heard you say something recently. You said, um, do you care more about winning people or winning arguments? Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a question that all of our listeners need to think about when you're on social media. First of all, are, are you being purposeful about why you're on social media? Um, and I'll do a, a shameless plug here. I just uh, wrote an article over at our blog, uh, five things you can learn from John the Baptist about social media. So if you're hearing this oh. podcast uh, when it comes out, go to our website and that should be this week's blog article. There, you know, John the Baptist lived 2000 years ago, but there's actually some things you can, you can learn from him about how to engage on social media. Um, but yeah, we need, to, we need to be purposeful and you need to ask that question. And the, the way I'm engaging on Facebook or on Twitter, especially, um, what is my goal here? Am I trying to win arguments or am I trying to win people for Jesus? Because whichever is the primary desire that you're coming into this conversation with, it is going to dictate how you go about communicating with people. So I, I think that's some, some great advice, uh, Stephen. And I think for a lot of us, you know, even if we don't end up having a social media ministry or we're not running a, a major page, um, all of us are public figures in the sense that even if you just have a personal profile on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, you are a public figure. And anytime you put something out there, it goes out worldwide. People right. do see it. More people see it than you realize. And it has a greater impact than you realize, which can be a good thing if you're being mindful and purposeful about representing Jesus well. Good, yeah. It, it's a good space. I mean, just as a, maybe a final encouragement, I, I mean, the kingdom of God, I believe the kingdom of God moves towards brokenness. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and social media is the perfect space to see when people are broken. Mm -hmm. And if you run to brokenness, like you will meet the person there and you will also encounter the Holy spirit. I mean, Psalm 34, 18 says, um, that, uh, that God is near to those who's, uh, let's see, let me read it because I'm about to misquote God's word. This is one of my favorite scriptures and it just, it just escaped my mind. Um, God is near to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Right. Mm -hmm. So like when you find people who are brokenhearted on social media, when you rush to them, you run to them and you send them a, a, a direct message. Hey, I just saw you posted this. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Mm -hmm. What happens is you're engaging with them at the same time, the Holy spirit of God's engaging with them. Because we know God's near to them when, he, when they're broken. And so when we run to them, we're running to them, but we're also running and partnering with the Holy Spirit in that work. I think it's beautiful. So finding broken people, in my opinion, is the most valuable use of our social media time and resources. And so I would encourage that. I mean, who cares what people vote for if they're far from God, they never meet Jesus, or they have some brokenness in their hearts and minds. You know, it's like the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of their heart. And, and, and like, where are the workers who are going to partner in this gospel effort of the Holy Spirit engaging with them in that pain. So uh, yeah. I love it. I look forward to reading your article, bro. <laughs> Thanks, man. I hope it'll, I think it will encourage people and I, and I hope it will. Um, Stephen, we're going to have to have you back on the podcast. And for those of you who are regular listeners to the show and are part of our Into the Harvest community, uh, I'm hoping we get to do more with uh, Stephen. So hopefully you'll, you'll see him around more. But thanks for being on today. What's the best way that our listeners can connect with you or or see more of what you're doing? Yeah, so on Facebook, uh, you can follow us at uh, uh, at Where Was God. On Instagram, you can follow me at Insta Scripture. And if you send me a message there, I will uh, I will respond. Um, 
Uh, you can email me at stephen.erp. My last name is E-A-R-P. That's Stephen with a V dot Erp, E-A-R-P at Gmail. But uh, we're, we're pretty accessible. You can just pretty much search my name and you'll find me somewhere. So, and I'll usually, I'll usually respond personally. So, um, but yeah, I would be honored to connect with any of your guests. And thanks for your ministry so much. I love Into the Harvest. I love the whole Into the Harvest team and all of the, uh, the stuff you guys do on social media is super high quality and super meaningful, really substantive content in social media. In social media world, we see a lot of, uh, of sort of bumper sticker fluff, and that is not what Into the Harvest is about. Like, you guys are giving us the meat that can change our lives, and so I'm so thankful for what you guys do, for real. Please extend my, my deep gratitude to your entire team. I sure will, brother, and we'll be working some more together in the future. So thanks, Stephen, for being on. We'll do it again sometime soon. Okay, God bless you guys. Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. Or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.